Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Vegas podcast. This is our first recording after the Australian Open. Uh, it was quite an intense, uh, very exciting, multi-storylined week of tennis. And um, I'm excited to to have on two guests. Uh, well, I guess one of those is the host of this podcast, Andre. So, Andre, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. That's my first time recording since the Australian Open. But I think Vansh had a, a super recording with uh, Steve Flink, which is always a good listen. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't yet. And Owen also had one, I believe, right? I'm not sure if it was before or after the Australian Open final. Actually, it was before, so never mind that. Vansh was the last one, but I'm here for the first time after the Australian Open. I've been doing good. Um, tournaments have been nice. We had some really good stories that we're excited to talk about uh, today. Great. Fantastic. And there's no better guest to join me than uh, than one of my good friends from from Talking Tennis. You should go check those guys out on YouTube. They're doing a really good job. And he's also a writer for... Um, he's written in the past for a few different places, actually. And uh, he's pretty active on social media as well. And he's, we're excited to have on Jethro. So how, how are you doing Jethro? If you want to maybe introduce yourself to the listeners, since this is the first time on Tennis and Bagels. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's good to, good to be here. Um, yeah. As Vance said, my name's Jethro. Um, been following the game for, well, as long as I can remember, really. Um, my kind of first concrete memories are around kind of 2005, 2006, 2007, when I kind of first saw Rafa Nadal playing and, and I think I went from liking tennis to loving tennis when I when I first watched Rafa play. Um, uh, yeah, winning those French Opens and then that 2008 Wimbledon final. I just yeah, it's kind of like my like nostalgic tennis memory, all those years ago, and I've just loved it ever since. And uh, I think over the years I've kind of just got more and more into it as kind of um, you know as I've got older and so social media has made it easier to access tennis content i used to be on youtube all the time watching tennis highlights um and rafa nadal was always always my guy and then uh 2016 i caught on to dominic team and so it's kind of it was kind of those two and then schwartzman you know kind of around the same time and i kind of had like a tree of favorite players at that point and uh someone who's recently joined that uh that brigade won a title this week so we're very excited to chat about him yeah, well, that's that's quite the origin story. It's it's cool that you've been a fan ever since two thousand five and six, and kind of Nadal really uh, is what started it for you. But uh, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, about your love for Argentinian tennis. You know, what what is it about players like Schwartzman and Baez? Uh, do you see something in them that sort of makes you want to root for them? That you're really you're you're super passionate about them and their results. Yeah, it's um, it's quite a mix of things. I think um, growing up, I I'm, I also got, yeah, I'm English, so I've grown up a big rugby fan, and I always really liked the Argentina rugby side. I always thought they had such passionate fans, and I love the way that you know they competed. And then it came to tennis, and I really liked Del Potro. I think every tennis fan ever is a fan of Del Potro. Um, he's he's an absolute legend, and so I I just always had kind of like a love and like for Argentinian sport. And um, and then I was watching the 2016 Istanbul final between uh, Schwarzman and Dimitrov, and I was quite a big fan of Dimitrov at this point. And I had no idea how how tall Schwarzman is. I hadn't really he was you know, he was ranked around 60 at this time, so I didn't really know much about him. I just kind of seen him, you know, in Grand Slam draws and stuff. And you know, thanks partly thanks to a Dimitrov meltdown, uh, Schwarzman ended up winning that final and took the title, and they shook hands, and I was like, God, how short is this guy? Because I'm, I'm very short myself. I'm not five foot seven, like same height as Schwartzman. 
And I was like, oh, I can't even use the excuse that I'm not a good tennis player anymore because of my height. Because look at this guy, he's winning titles on the main tour. And so that definitely helped. And then I kind of just saw his competitive attitude and like, he's a really sweet guy. I loved his backhand, the way he just competes for everything. And he's just maximized his career so well. And then, you know, I was watching like a clay court challenger kind of midway through 2021. And I saw another five foot seven Argentinian guy, like, you know, with this insanely massive forehand. And I was like, gosh, God, I got another one to root for now. And yeah, it's um that's kind of part of why because I kind of relate to them quite a lot. And I know having played tennis, how tough it is when there's like something like such bigger guys just like smashing smashing balls down at you and not having like the your own advantages is is tough. And that just makes me respect those two so much, you know. Um and like any short guy, you know, there's there's players who've done really, really well who are kind of like, you know, five foot eight to five foot ten range. And it's it I just find that so so impressive, you know, when you're so disadvantaged in a sport where six foot plus is kind of the ideal height. Yeah. And on that note, just like um draw around up, Vosh, how tall are you? I think I've thought about this like before, but you used to play juniors, um, and you, you had some potential, but you you have to be at least like six foot tall, right? Yeah, I mean I you know, when I was playing I was when I was at my best, I was between age 14 and 16. I was around five foot nine. I'm about five ten right now oh, five okay. on a good day, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would consider myself a short tennis player as well. Yeah. You do fall on the shorter side because like a lot of tennis players like around like six to six foot two, six, four, even. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm about, I'm about five nine as well. So like I can, I can relate to the idea of like, mm-hmm. and if Schwartzman has been able to become a top 10 and even like reach the ATP finals. And I, I had a dream of, I've, I've said about like a few times in this podcast before, like I had a, I really wanted to become a tennis player, like a professional. And to see that Schwarzman is doing well, I'm like, maybe with a couple inches taller, maybe I would have been able to like go even farther than him, maybe top five or something. I don't know. But yeah, like it's a, yeah. the land of the, of the dreams. And I think it's, it's, it's a really good um, inspiration story as well. It, it might be, uh, I don't know if you know of, of any uh, interviews with Baez where he maybe has said that Schwarzman maybe have inspired him to become better, but since they're about the same height, but yeah. yeah, I've never actually heard that. I think I mean he's only eight years younger, so I guess maybe it helped. But um, I mean, it, I mean it's it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I heard Jack Draper say that Dominic Team's one of his idols, and I'm like, what? Mm. Like Dominic Team? Like oh, yeah, he's only thirty now, I suppose. But <laughs> but like I never really know where they get their idols from because I. Like, the generation coming through, I I imagine idolized kind of like Djokovic, Federer, yeah. Nadal, Murray kind of kind of years. Um and Schwartzman only really broke through, you know, 2016, 2017 time. But um yeah, like he, he probably was inspired, but I imagine like Baez is quite an exciting player, you know, to to keep an eye on at the moment, I think. And I think that's gonna inspire a lot of people in Argentina for sure, who are kind of around that height. And, you know, no matter what certain tennis players on Twitter have to say about uh, on clay court tennis, you know, you can have a very good career being an amazing clay court player. Um, and, yeah, you can just work on your game on other surfaces. But it's, yeah. a, it's a great start, you know, if you're looking for inspiration from those two. I mean, yeah, you, I can, can. you can you can win as many Grand Slams as Pete Sampras only on clay, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I, I, I quite really enjoy watching this time of the year with this clay court circuit in the in South America. I just learn get to learn so much more about these these players and maybe players who don't get quite the same respect. You know, your Albert Ramos Finalesses of the world, your you know, obviously your Baez and your Schwartzman and so many other players in that same sort of realm between like twenty to eighty in the world. And I just feel like it's uh it's such an underappreciated swing. Uh, just because you you know, you also have the European indoors and you have Dallas and Del Rey and you have the Middle East as well coming up. But this time of the year is 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 pretty exciting and you get some absolute thrillers that go way down to the wire. And I mean you had some you had some three setters this week and you had players like Korea and Baez and everyone really coming through in Buenos Aires and now they're gonna take that form into Rio. But watching Baez this week, um obviously he's been not in great form in the last six or seven months. I mean really since the post clay court circuit after Wimbledon of last year. So, you know, what did you see in his game sort of in his in the matches that you saw that he played this week that, uh, you know, that you would say, OK, he's he's sort of back to the bias that we know and 
back to his best. We did see some flashes, obviously, last year against played a great match against Carlos for two sets at, at the U.S. Open. But what really stood out? You mentioned his forehand, which is obviously a, a really big weapon. Yeah, no, his forehand was um, a lot, just a lot more accurate because um, I mean he hits with so much pace. He's like such an aggressive player, and I think it was it was just all kind of all at once, kind of a big amalgamation last year where. You know, we had that amazing run in uh, Bristad and he beat Rublev and team. And then he got to the final and he lost to uh, Sarandolo. And then and then he had to go play hard courts and he got some really awful draws. And he got like Alcaraz, US Open, he got Corday, he got Fritz, he got Kyrgios, like all in these first rounds. And they were playing really, really well. And when you've got such little hard court experience and such a change in conditions from what you've been playing, it's um, it was, it was always going to be difficult. And... But he, you know, he did, he did, he did have a tough, tough time, you know, kind of adapting. You know, his, he was missing a lot. He wasn't serving very well, um, and I think that's for me is what is, I've been most impressed with this week is the serve. Like he's serving really big, especially for someone his size. And I need to, I need to try and find out how many aces he hit this week. But it was, it was a lot. And yeah, there were there were dips. You know, in his um in his second round match against I think Barrios Vera. You know, he, lost, he played a pretty poor second set. And dropped that one and then played really well against Delian and then final against Corey again. He started spraying lots of errors, but he kind of just found his form again. And I think when he went through these kind of patches of, you know, spraying errors and not playing well in the second half of last season, everything was moving so quick because it was on a hard court. He didn't really have time to adjust and like set himself and get going again. Whereas I think he's so comfortable and confident on the clay and he was, in, he was in, at home in Argentina, he could just mentally reset if he had played a bad set. And yeah, I think that's just the, yeah, the, you know, being comfortable on clay again was massive. Um, but yeah, no, his forehand was really, really incredible. And like his backhand doesn't really get a lot of, like it doesn't get talked about, but the way he kind of pushes off the backhand when he's kind of, looks like he's worked himself into a tight spot where the racket's kind of like too close to his body. He has this insane kind of drive from his left arm, just pushing the ball through. And it gets him out of a lot of situations. And I think, yeah, he's just so skilled. He's got good net skills. Um, but yeah, just a really positive week overall. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's pretty good analysis, actually, of his of his game and his strengths. And, you know, also what he was able to do this week. You mentioned the serve. I mean, you know, I'm looking at the stats now. He had at least five aces in almost every match except for the final. Mm. Um, but his first serve percentage was quite high in the final and he was getting quite a lot of payoff. Uh, in addition, we know how solid of a mover he is and how great his ground game is and his court coverage. And you mentioned the explosiveness. That sort of really stands out about his game. I mean, the way he's able to sort of slide into the corners on the backhand and then get the forehand that he wants and then kind of dictate from there, from the middle of the court. And he really uh, he really maximizes everything out of that shot. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Schwartzman and his back and his backhand. For Baez, it's the forehand. And it's like mm. you have two players with such formidable weapons like that, that, uh, you know, like firepower for firepower, pound for point, pound for pound, they hit the ball so big off of those two wings. It's uh, it's really quite something to watch, actually. Yeah. I didn't. I must confess, I didn't get to watch the uh, the final yesterday, but I I do remember seeing him playing against Alcaraz last year, and it didn't strike me uh, that he was that small just because he hits so hard, and mm-hmm. it felt like he was going toe to toe against Alcaraz, and I believe he got injured right in that match. Yeah. So. Yeah. Game into the third set, I think it was, yeah, yeah, and he was done. Um, but I think this match could have gone places if he was fully fit, so that was just uh, so I guess like I can get a picture of like how much better he must be also on clay where he, he's more comfortable. Um, the surf isn't that much of a of a liability, so he can maximize his game as well on the baseline. So, um, I'm gonna try to catch this match later on and uh, make some comments on tweet on Twitter about it, but uh, yeah, um. Definitely looking forward as well for for his next few matches on on clay and uh, back on hard as well. I feel like if he gets a good, um, like a good season, like in South America and uh, uh, Central America, he can go to Indian Wells like with a little bit more confidence. Of course, the conditions are pretty much completely different. Like in in Indian Wells, is a lot drier. Um, although it's probably about as 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 um as hot as it is in south america and yeah. it's just the dryness of the condition i think is going to make the ball um yeah it, correct it me really if i'm wrong like, it's, yeah it's, it, it makes it makes the ball also drive a little a little bit uh faster right as well yeah it's, it's like faster through the air and then yeah 
you know, once it hits the ground, it slows down, but it's really, you know, he's, he'll, he'll get the effect of the high bounce and he'll, he'll be able to, I think he'll have more time, especially on his ground strokes and he'll be able to, he can especially do some damage from the baseline. Um, yeah. In yeah. Those conditions. But, uh, you know, before we move on from Cordoba, since there was a lot of other action this week, what, what are you, what are sort of your takeaways from the rest of the field there? Or maybe um, your, your impressions of where Diego is at right now? Because obviously, um, yeah, he's not he's he's struggling a little bit more than we're used to in the past um, from previous previous seasons. Um, I think he played pretty well at the U.S. Open, um, you know, pushing mm-hmm. Tiafo there, breaking his serve, I think, six times and getting to the third round. I thought that was a good effort, but since then he's been he's been struggling a little bit. So what's your what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a bit of a car crash into the season for for Diego. There was just no rhythm or confidence in any of his matches, and then. He has a big off season, you know, he just gets away from tennis for a bit, he goes to the World Cup, goes traveling with his girlfriend, and he's just seems really refreshed. And then he's like practicing again. And then he starts the season and he gets injured in the first match against Brooksby in Auckland. And, you know, he's in tears on court. It's just like, oh my God, come on, like this is the last thing I need. And then yeah, Australian Open, I mean, he was barely fit. You know, he managed to just about scrape passes opening round with the um with the qualifier uh Krutik. And then, yeah, <clears throat> I, I caught the highlights of his match with Wolf, and he kind of he, he played some good tennis, but you could tell he was just trying to shorten points and just try and flatten the backhand out because, like he he wasn't he wasn't kind of stretching on the back on the on you know on the backhand side because of his left leg. He wasn't defending well at all because he couldn't move properly. Um, and then you know a couple of weeks, two or three weeks off after the Australian Open, and then he enters this week. And I watched. I mean, I watched the first set with uh, Juan Manuel Sarundalo and. He was the forehand looked good. The backhand was kind of the shot that I was a bit disappointed in. Um, yeah, like the like the forehand was looking better than I thought it had been in recent times. But he's just making too many errors, you know, in kind of like like sort of standard play. You know, there's too many trading shots that are just going into the net or going out. He's not got the rally tolerance he used to have at the moment, and I think you know that's going to be down to a confidence and rhythm thing. And then he did. He did uh, say afterwards that his father's been in the hospital for the last three weeks, and I think that's been tough for him to deal with. I just—he's just got a lot going on, and you know, he's been Argentina's highest-ranked player for years. You know, he's been—he was in the top ten, he's in the top twenty, top thirty for all this time, and now he's dropped out the top thirty, and he's defending points in Rio and Buenos Aires, where he reached the final, both of them last year. And I think it's just a lot for him to take right now, and he's getting more frustrated than I've seen him get before. And um, it's just not coming as easy as it used to. And I, I I hope that he can, you know, sort sort it out and get back to winning ways because he's he's a really, really great player to have on tour when he's doing well. He's got he's bring such a good happy vibe to everyone. Um but yeah, I will say for his uh, his uh, his good friend Frederico Correa had a fantastic week. Um and he he's working with Carlos Bullock now, which I hadn't realized until yesterday. And then looks like that partnership's working really, really nicely. Um, I thought he played really well in the second set against Byers. He played a pretty poor first set. And then third set, they were both playing pretty well. Sorry, yeah, third set, they both playing well. And yeah, I thought it was a good week for him. I, I always enjoy watching Corey. He's such a such a grinder. You know, his, his defence is really, really good. Um, disappointing for uh, Francisco Surundolo. He hasn't looked the same player at all since he won that title in Bushdad either. Um Right. Yeah, I think he, he, he was struggling has... a little bit with an injury as well, right? Uh, yeah. To pull out ab. I can't remember what it was, but um, yeah, he's. I, I did. I mean, I remember watching his first round U.S. Open match with there uh, with Murray, which Murray won at straight sets. And I just think a guy of your size and your frame, you you need a bigger serve than you've got. He kind of rolls it in half the time, mm-hmm. and it's it's all very well having a great forehand at that size, but if you're not going to have a big serve as well, you know, you need to up that. Um, and yeah, Ramos Vino last week, yeah, went out to Korea. Probably a bit disappointing from him, but yeah, so the draw opened up and then Byers was the heavy favourite once, you know, once they all went out. And, you know, he took this opportunity really, really well. Yeah, second career title. I mean, that's it's quite good. He's one of those 2000-born players and and uh, yeah, he's probably going to have many more awesome results. But uh, I guess uh, moving away from the South American swing, uh, let's talk a little bit about Dallas because obviously you have the fantastic story with Yiving Wu. For those who don't know, Yiving Wu, the 2017 U.S. Open Juniors champion, 
won both the singles and the doubles there. Um, he's about 23 years of age as of right now, born in 1999. You know, first, this is the first ever male player in the Open Era, first any player, actually, um, you know, male player like in the Open Era to win to win an ATP title from China. Uh, so it's been kind of a long time coming, I guess. And he's, uh, you know, this time last year, he was outside the top 1,200 and he um, he absolutely tore it on the Challenger Tour year last year. But between 2019 and 2022, he had this three-year hiatus with lots of injuries, a couple of surgeries in there as well. And obviously you have the COVID pandemic pause and not being able to travel outside of China or play any tournaments outside of his kind of region. And so it's been great to see someone with his sort of drive and work ethic. And obviously the game speaks for itself um, this week, taking out players like Shapovalov and then Michael Moe as well, who beats Zverev in the Australian Open. And then he's he, the, the last two wins I thought were very impressive against Fritz, who's a top eight player. And then against someone like Isner, who has so much experience at this level, having played 30 plus finals and, you know, playing playing at home in Dallas and one of the most uh, incredible serving performances of Isner's career. And he still couldn't get it done um, in the end because uh, Yibing Wu, if you haven't seen him, he's super exciting to watch. He takes the ball extremely early. He hugs the baseline. Um, he's able to, like his play from the baseline is... It's pretty remarkable how he can just inject pace off of both wings. He moves extremely well. He's, I, you know, I think the serve can get better for sure. But he also has, what I like about his game is he, he he's got quite a good IQ as well. He can really hit that, those angles that, particularly that sharp forehand cross court angle is what really stands out to me. And I I really like his demeanor and he's pretty calm, you know, hardworking and he's got a good sense of humor as well. If you've seen some of those post match clips uh, with Blair Henley, shout out to her because she did an awesome job this week. Uh, being the MC and doing the on-court interviews. I think she's one of the best in the game at them. But um, since you guys, you know, both would have seen Wu play this week, what are, what are sort of your general impressions of his game and uh, how excited are you by him? Um, any, any one of you can go first. Yeah, Andre, if you want to take it away. Yeah, yeah um, so I watched most of the final yesterday. I missed the first set, but... Um... I thought it was impressive how complete his game is. Like his his serve is I mean, there's always room for improvement everywhere, right? But like I thought he was really good, like everywhere. Like he could um serve and get himself out of trouble with his serve. He could back it up with like a one-two punch. He could move well on the baseline. He could defend really well. At some point he was like defending off to the forehand side, like with his lighting forehand. It almost reminded me of Djokovic at times, just the way that he was playing and defending and turning like attack and uh, defense into attack. So I really liked how I was. I was really impressed just how almost unfazed he looked by being in the final. He he just looked like he'd been there like a many time before. Maybe I was just telling himself this is just like any other final. Like I've been in a challenger event. Um, some challenger events do have like um, some some big crowds coming in, so he may have just kind of try to like erase the ATP tour like from his head and just like actually playing the tennis. Um, but yeah, like I wouldn't expect him to win it. And especially in, in three tie breaks <laughs> that he has to play against uh, John Isner. So um, that, that was pretty, that was pretty massive for him to hold, hold his own against uh, John Isner in Dallas. He saved four match points. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for him. Like if he can keep up this level, like I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to drop. Uh, maybe he's going to have like a little dip, like sometimes it happens. But um, given that he's been doing so well in the Challengers uh, and then he's won a, a, a tour, uh, a title this week, I think it's, I think he's going to get better. I feel like he may, so far, I would say he has a level for like top 30, top 20, even like if he can keep maximizing his game. I do wish that obviously like he, he was playing a lot more conservative on uh, pressure points, especially towards the end. So like his forehands were a lot shorter. He was still like producing angles, uh, but he was not really pacing like his forehand, like uh, like hitting through it as much. So I can see that um, more experienced players would be able to, like a Rublev, for example, would have been able to punish him for that. But um, I mean, he won the title, so there's only more confidence for him. So I don't think this, I don't think it's going to get, uh, worse from this point on like I think it it's only on him now I guess he's got so much potential like I feel like we could see him um, becoming like a good top 20 player like even dark horse for like the big events like uh, in Indian Wells Miami like who knows yeah no I was I was really impressed I because I was watching uh, Cordoba so much this week I didn't really catch much of Dallas but I did watch the final 
And yeah, Isner's serving was ridiculous. Uh, it was well, frustrating from a from so I because I wanted to watch, you know, I wanted to watch his um his ball striking, you know, in these tie breaks, and yeah, we just weren't really getting any of that. And in the final set tie break, I, I I don't know how many he hit, but I only counted like one unforced error, and that was when he had match point on his serve. I mean, all the other points were just isn't a serving huge. Um, yeah, he's so solid. I love I love how early he takes the ball. Um, kind of kind of very punchy shots. Kind of reminded me a bit of like a Nishikori kind of, and I think mm-hmm. that's partly because the ATP did share a video of um, you know, Wu like. You know, it was like the post-match handshake of Wu Vinishikori in 2018, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, God, that, I feel like I kind of remember that." God, that was I can't believe it was that long ago, and he's still only 23. Um, yeah, and I was just like, "Guy, this guy just slipped off my radar entirely." And then, obviously, the people who follow the challenger circuit now know all about him, and so another another point of evidence to watch more challengers uh, yeah. whenever you get the chance because. I mean, these are sort of like, you know, some, some amazing stuff for the uh, Australian Open. Although, you know, it's kind of like JJ Wolf, Ben Shelton. I already knew knew about them quite well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's always fun when someone breaks through like that. And yeah, he's 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 very cool, very calm, just mentally dealt with the pressure in that final really well. Yeah. And he seems like a really charming, nice guy. And yeah, he seems like a great addition to the tour. Yeah, that's all yeah. really well said, I guess. Um a little bit about the match itself. I mean, three tie breaks you mentioned. Obviously, he came back from a set down. Um, he he had to save championship point in the second set as well because uh, that was that looked like it was going to go to a tie break, which it eventually did. But um, Isner had a look to finish this match seven six seven five. Wu saves that incredibly calm and composed. Some big serving and followed by a big first strike. But what impressed me is that when they actually went into the rallies, Wu had a significant edge. Because I mean, I mean, obviously, if you're just straight up looking at the stats. You see in this match that Isner hit 60 winners, but then you realize 44 of those are aces. And he made 21 unforced errors, and one of those was a double fault. So if you actually take the serve out of the equation and you go past two shots, you're looking at you know 16 winners and 20 unforced errors for Isner. That's a minus four ratio. And he was, you know, and, and then and you're looking at points all over the place, like from the baseline, from the net. So he had 16 winners, 20 unforced errors. You Wu, on the other hand, he had 41 winners, but only seven of those are aces. So that tells you that the majority of that is coming from the ground or from or at net or drop shots, overheads, whatever it might be. And he made 17 unforced errors. So he had a plus 19 winners to unforced errors ratio, while John had a minus four uh, you know, winners to unforced ratio if you're taking the serve out of the equation. And what impressed me is that he, he's got some pretty nice touch and feel at the net as well. He won 13 out of 13 of his net points, which uh, which in a match you know this big, you don't get that many opportunities to come to the net when you're facing that big serve of Isner and his imposing first forehand. But uh, when he was up there, he was really quite efficient. And I think, you know, Isner had one of the best serving days of his life. Like 44 aces for him is a record in any um, three-set match. He's never hit more. And um, so for him, to, for Wu to come on top in a match like that where Isner has so much experience in, in, in this big stage, this was his 31st ATP final and this was Wu's first. Yeah. So in a situation like that, you really still back Isner when it comes to like handling the nerves and situations like that. And Isner, I, I you know, he he missed some easy shots in that third set tiebreak. He had this one like sitter volley on the forehand that he just sort of, you know, came just sort of jammed, you know, just kind of got jammed as he was trying to put it away, and it was just a, a miscalculation on his part. Yeah. But uh, but Wu was just terrific in all the big moments and. Um, you know, he did the same against Fritz as well. Fritz, as we know, is one of the best ball strikers on tour, you know, off both wings, off the forehand, backhand. He has one of the best serves as well. Top eight player for a reason, right? And Wu, um, you know, out baselined him as well, which was really impressive. I mean, he was, you know, in both these both these matches um, against Fritz and Isner, the opponent who lost won more total points, and uh, you know, and you know, hit more aces. But when it came to the baseline exchanges, I think even Fritz in that match, he was. Like he hit 18 winners and 18 unforced errors, but mm-hmm. Wu, on the other hand, like 28 winners, 13 unforced errors. So, you know, plus 15. And it's like, you know, that's where I feel like he's really, really having the edge because he's holding his own and he's defending so well in these exchanges. And then he's able to go on attack. And it's like, you know, it's, it's terrific. And he saved all nine break points against Fritz. Fritz was 0 for 9. And in that match, Fritz had several chances to win that match in straights as well. But mm-hmm. Wu was just so clutch every single time. So, I'm I'm impressed. And sometimes when you have a young guy at this stage, it can either go two ways. They can get overwhelmed by the occasion 
or they can just raise their game because they have no baggage, no scar tissue whatsoever, ever having played been in these situations. So I think it's only up and up for Google from here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, we, we, we saw something like this a little bit with sort of Karatsev, but Karatsev was a little bit older and he'd been on the Challenger Tour a lot longer. And he'd sort of, he had that one Australian Open semifinal and then he won Dubai and he sort of, then he beat Djokovic at the start of the clay court season in Belgrade. And he wasn't really able to continue that form and has, hasn't really been the same player in over a year. But um, with Wu, I just wish he stays healthy. That's the number one thing. Because, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we need someone like that. With you know, Chinese China is such a big market for tennis, as we know, right? So it would be really awesome to have a male player, you know, be contending for like the biggest titles. And I think Wu has the potential to do that. So I'm very excited about his future. Yeah. Just one thing about the the final as well that I remember just now is the. Um, and when you guys are talking about like how great a uh, serving um, day Isner was having, um, the one thing that was I think was remarkable for me is like how he would shrug off like the aces. He would just like walk to the other side. It's almost I think it, I think the coach must have said to him like, "Listen, it's John Isner. There's no way you're gonna get out of there like with at least like twenty aces on his back. There's just no way." So like, but whenever he got his racket on a on a return. There were so many that just came back and he rarely ever made a uh, return like error. Like when, when he actually got like in position to hit like a good forehand or backhand, he just went in and it was a good return. It wasn't even a bad one. Um, so in a, in a big way, credit isn't it to like, well, do well on one, on those returns and even win a few. But, um, uh, there was, I think in a tiebreaker, I don't know. If she, I think it was the, the point that he won um, to break, uh, not to win the match. But the first mini break that he got to get match point before uh, he got broken back, he hit like uh, Isner hit like a uh, like a serve serve down the tee on on ad side to lose forehand, and it was it wasn't his best serve. It was still very pacey, but like um, <laughs> we just like hit his insane just. Almost like, as I said, like Djokovic and like forehand is like a very short swing and it just lands right on Isner's feet. And I was just looking at this and I was like, how can this guy do this like at this stage of the match still and and do so well with those shots? Like, I feel like, I don't know, man. I feel like it, it, it can either be like beginner's luck. I don't think it is because, well, we've been just talking about like the challenger the whole time, but um, yeah, like if he stays healthy, he doesn't necessarily get, um, if he doesn't like, raises his expectations too high and just like finds himself like disappointed and frustrated. I think he can do really well this, this year. I'm definitely thinking he finishes the year, like top 20, like if, if this keeps, keeps going. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, um, you know, I was really impressed by, yeah, like pretty much everything, his whole package and his composure. But you know, even even aside from from these three players that we've mentioned in Dallas, I was really impressed by JJ Wolf as well, because obviously, you know, he he had a big Australian Open as well, getting to the second week, the fourth round there, I think, and then, you know, he he had his chances to beat Isner, but uh, wasn't to be. But he played he played a fantastic week as well. He beat Tiafo. And I love his, I love that slice curve serve that he's able to hit on both the T and the ad. It's just ridiculous because I haven't seen anything like that before. I've seen people compare it to Pete Sampras, but I haven't seen that kind of consistency of, of that wicked slice slice serve. It's basically going well into the deuce court every time he hits it on it's, the ad side, and it's just curving it's away ridiculous. from his. Ridiculous, right? 
I had to like check to see if he wasn't standing like on the other side, like when he when he hit that, because it was just I couldn't believe it. I gasped when when you put that on Twitter. I was like, what? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I couldn't believe it. Like, I I mean, I thought like uh, players that come to mind, uh, but they have like a good slicing serve. I think Murray's life serve is is pretty solid. I think um Kirio, somebody mentioned and on the on our account like has a pretty good slice there. But that was that was insane. Like the, the curve is is almost unnecessary. It's like it doesn't need <laughs> yeah. to go that far. <laughs> it's so cruel, honestly. Yeah. Like I don't know how you were to turn that. It's you like can't the, really read it or prepare for by, it. By the time you would hit awesome. like the, the backboard, it was on the middle of the service uh, of the of the service box from the other side. It's like Yeah. It, it feels almost unfair to have that yeah. in your arsenal, if I'm being honest. But but yeah, I mean, so Delray was a great tournament. And obviously, yeah. we have more with, I mean, Dallas was a great tournament. And now we have Delray this week. But I guess um, shifting over to uh, Yannick Sinner winning his seventh ATP title. I mean, this is obviously he won four of them in 2021. And last year, he kept putting awesome results, getting to the quarters. And he kept getting to quarters, 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 semis, you know, and just couldn't really get finish the run. And he, he's been losing to some of the best players. I mean, Tsitsipas and 6-3 in the fifth of the Australian Open. And then obviously those matches against Djokovic and one of the best matches against Carlos last year uh, at the US Open. And he's achieved quite a bit already at such a young age. We know what a great talent he is and, you know, how, uh, you know, how he's uh, in that same next generation with Alcaraz and how to win many big titles. But for him to get on the board this week, uh, granted, he only had to play three matches because, you know, uh, from quarter semis uh, onwards, uh, and Cressy had a very good week getting to the final, but uh, Sinner was really big, played really well in all the big moments and got it done. So I'm excited to see what Sinner can do now, um, having, you know, having put together some, some, some good results this this year already. So I'm excited to see what what's in store for him. Do you guys, do you guys see any of Sinner this week? I didn't catch him. No, I, I mean I was keeping up to date with the results. Um... Yeah, kind of a tournament. I would I would have expected him to win, and uh-huh. but still thought it was impressive. And you know, no sets dropped from Sonigo, Phil's, and Arthur Phil's great, great talent to yeah. keep an eye on as well. That was that was an awesome week from him. And then yeah, Cressy in straight sets, you know, with a break in, in the second. So a good week for Sinner. I'm I'm pretty big on Sinner. I think I have fairly high expectations on him. Not expectations, but there is. You know, I can see him going very deep in every slam. He's one of the best players, you know, at least from his generation and the middle generation across all surfaces. And he could make second week of every single Grand Slam this year, and I'd, I'd not be surprised at all. Um, mm. He, yeah, he's he, he's he's awesome, and yeah, and like you mentioned, the sits of pass and the Djokovic and the Alcaraz matches that he's lost. You know, these are all to very very good players who are playing really really well. Um. In tournaments that they are good at so it's like there's there's a lot to come from Sinner I think this year and yeah definitely a, definitely a very good start not dropping any sets in his first you know in his first title of the year yeah mm. hopefully he can just stay healthy you know and you know get one of those big wins because he's come so close to beating these top five players and you know it's just a little bit more needed but he's I feel like he's very close um, yeah he's on the brink I think I think uh, I caught a bit of his match against Sonigo and the one thing that's coming to my mind is uh, just Sinner has he's reached the point where um, sort of like a Rublev type of point, like in the sense that like he is able to be anybody that is like ranked lower than him. I don't expect him to not lose against anybody that is not in the top ten at this point. Essentially, um, I think the one thing that holds him back still is his serve, like. There was one point in the Sonigo match, I believe that he's his I think it was up match point. Um he got 40 love up and he could almost got turned down that uh that into a 40 40 uh, like a deuce game because it ended up being like 40 30. One serve that he's hit at 40 love, it was it wasn't even on the doubles alley. <laughs> it was so far off. I couldn't believe how far that first serve was. And it's like dude, you shouldn't be serving as badly as this. Like at any point in your match at this point, like you miss a first serve, that's okay. But like you miss this badly, there's no way you don't see a problem with this. Like seriously, um, 
I'm not sure if this is the reason why he's lost to Alcaraz. Like those are the few points where Alcaraz even should have beaten him in, in four sets instead of five. But um, uh, regardless, I think um, if he can get good in his serve in the sense that like he can rely on it to like finish his matches or like get himself out of trouble from time to time um, and consistently do so, I think he can. It has any potential as anyone on tour. Like I mean, there's there's no short of um of big titles that he couldn't win. He's reached the maybe at least one final. Or is it two finals on the Masters one thousand level? Yeah, he had that one against in Miami. Miami uh, against he lost to Hercatch. Yeah, and that's but, the only final he's lost, and he's like cleaning it up everywhere else. Yeah, two fifties and five hundreds, and so yeah, I feel like in terms of beating the big guys, like the ones that he should be that he should be competing against most often, I think. Uh, yeah, I got the serve done, and like I feel like the wind's gonna come. Like, there's no way. Like, if yeah, many players that have, I guess, like less potential than he does. Like, if you put it this way, like has uh, a bit more um, limitations in their games. They were able to get the wins. Uh, they were able to like cross the lines. Uh, there's no way uh, Sinner won't cross that line before. Even even Isner, for example, like he's won a Masters 1000, reached the a couple more in his lifetime and with uh, this type of his type of game Milos Raonic same uh, um, same yeah. difference if you will uh, like he's been able to reach as, as high as number three in the world finalist at Wimbledon um, I only so, think he can yeah. win a Masters this year um, I, Sorry? I think it's pretty, pretty I, I think that should be a good goal for him this year yeah. like winning the Masters getting to a major semi I think he should be a contender for Turin as well yeah he should he should really yeah. look into trying to qualify this year yeah, I kind of have yeah, my I mean, expectations with well like this year. Yeah, I just I think it's it's weird with Sinner because some matches I think his serve looks really really good, and yeah. you know like there was points against especially Alcaraz. when he's down in some of these games. I've seen him like love yeah. forty, just boom boom boom, get get to deuce. He did, he did that against um, Sitsipas, didn't he? You know, he's some amazing yeah. holds of serve, and he he mm-hmm. can serve big. It's just not consistent enough, and you know that that kind of told in that final set against Sitsipas in Australia where he played one bad service game. Sits past, got a hold of some returns, and he kind of just crumbled. But yeah, yeah he's uh, and yeah, I, yeah, he's he's very, 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 very good off the ground. Like the way he strikes the ball is just incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, I I think a, one targeting a Masters one thousand this year is definitely a good, a good one to go for. I think, and I think he's de- it's definitely achievable. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. Obviously, you know. Him and Runa and Alcaraz, two three really awesome talents, along with Felix and a lot of other great players in this in this kind of group. So we'll see what's what's to come. Uh, I think they're all playing in Rotterdam this week, and that'll be that'll be really exciting. We could get another potential Sinner Sitsipas right away in the mm. <laughs> I think in the second round. It's kind yeah. of a brutal draw because it's so packed. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching that for sure if that, if that happens. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so. And then, and then obviously, you know, you have the WTA events going on in the Middle East, and Benchich is really having a phenomenal year because she's um, ever since she's hired to meet Dmitry Tursunov, and I think she won the Fed. Did she win the Billie Jean King Cup? I think they did, right? Yeah, they so did. They did. They won the Billie Jean King Cup last year. So since then, she's looked really, really good. She's won. I think she's won sixteen of her last eighteen matches. I think she beat Leila Fernandez for the first time. <laughs> Yeah, and I think yeah. she bageled her in the first set. Is that right? And then they had a really good I second set. I believe so. I think it was six love seven five. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember seeing that. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a very competitive first set. That's for sure. It was a that is six one a six yeah. love. But yeah. And then she played Fiontek really tight. I think at the United Cup, like two pretty tight sets, yeah. and then she ended up winning Adelaide two, and then she lost to Sabalenka in the fourth round of the Australian Open, and the eventual champion. And she was even up a break in the first set. It was a good first set, and then Sabalenka really ran away with it, and then now she's won this title another 500 and so i think like besides from her and besides from arena and rabakina and um you know iga before the ao like she's been the best player this year like third best really she's um she's one and obviously she has an olympic medal and this this final against um samsonova was really like out of her control for like the first two sets almost because she loses she loses that first set six one and then she's down and out, it looks like, in the uh, in, in the tie break. She was up a break in the second set, but then Samsonova quickly got it back, and she has so much firepower, Samsonova. She hits the forehand so big. That's one of her best shots, best shots period I've ever seen on the WTA right, right now. And it was really kind of rocking Benchich back because we know how good 
of a pace absorber Benchich is and how well she sort of redirects pace. And that's like one of her best, biggest strengths. But against even the firepower of Sansonova, she really wasn't able to do that and was mistiming a lot of shots early on. And Sansonova just sort of ran away with the first set. And then in the second set, um, Samsonova was up six four in the in the in the tiebreak and had another um, championship point, I believe, at eight seven in the tiebreak. And Benchich clawed clawed the way back, uh, played those points really well, got a help, got a little help from a net cord on the third one. But once she took that second set and then was up a break uh, in the third, she really like wrestled the match. I thought it was really kind of a steal because Samsonova was really the better player for like the first two sets. And um, yeah, Benchich is just riding that wave of confidence right now. So be interesting to see. Yeah. I always look at her do so well, and she's won two one thousands. She's won Olympic gold. She's beaten so many of the best players. She has such a great record against top players. And then at majors, apart from the U.S. Open, she's really like not done well. Like you look at her record, it's like hasn't made a quarterfinal in the other three majors. It feels like she's massively underachieving in that in that regard. And then. And the U.S. Open, she came really close against Andrescu in that semifinal in 2019. That was a really good match between her and BB, um, and winner to play Serena. So, but apart from that, um, she's only 25. She feels like the oldest 25 year old to me because she's been on the tour for like mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of waiting to see like when will those results translate to the majors because she's so good outside of them. Yeah, I think I kind of put her in a similar spoke to Zverev in a way because they both won Olympic gold in 21 yeah. and they both did really really well in non well no, most quite quite a lot of the time they do really well in uh, non-major titles and obviously you know, Zverev does really well at Masters 1000s and then at Slams he's just underperformed his whole career um, some some could certainly argue he gets found out a bit because if he doesn't serve really well his you know, kind of lack of power can really get exposed in the best of five format. Um, yeah. But Benchich doesn't really have that excuse because, you know, it's best of three all the way. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I don't know if it's mental or if it's because he faces tougher players. Obviously, Sab- Sabalenka was uh, was not not an easy match at all. And Sabalenka, obviously the eventual champion, once she rescued that break in the first set, it kind of just, it just looked like one-way traffic from there on. Um but yeah, as you said, she's a really good pace absorber. I think she can also, she's a really clean ball striker. Um, I don't know what major I see her winning, though. This is a thing. I think, you know, we've got yeah. Iga as the Roland Garros kind of stalwart for the next 10 years, you'd think. Maybe someone else will challenge her at some point. Uh, Wimbledon, I kind of see Rabakina and Sabalenka kind of being the main two favourites there going forward. Um, US kind of anyone's game, I suppose. Shriantek, seen defending champion. Ons is always going to be there. I just, I don't think I have Benchich as a, oh, she should win this title one day. I think oh, like in terms I'm of winning a slam? Yeah, same. Yeah, same. I don't know what slam I see her winning. Maybe, maybe the Australian Open, but uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 I can't, I'm worked that out yet, personally. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, in a way, the Australian Open from the women's side for me is sort of how the US Open is for the men's side. Is like, is where the, I don't want to say random, but like you know what I mean, like the where the one timers ended up end up like winning their their slams. Um, Caroline Wozniacki won the day. Like Sabalenka just won one. Um, I could see it like going into um Benchich's hands, but like she's twenty five. Like I couldn't believe that when you told me I had to check this up. Like I I, I still can't. Like in my head she was like twenty seven, twenty eight. Because she was she was a really wow. prodigious junior. Like she she had like I remember her beating Serena and like. 2015 and you know just before Serena was going for the yeah that, that's about like when I remember like her coming up like in 2015 ish yeah. so man that's and she, she won that Toronto tournament she was like 18 at the time um, yeah so it's like and at that point she she already felt like she was like older like in a sense like it feels like oh yeah she she's she's coming up like she's like and you felt like she was like 22 when she did it at that time but yeah no man yeah no she has a long career ahead of her still yeah I guess there are some possibilities, but uh, but in terms of like being a tier one contender, I don't really kind of put her in that bracket of like Iga and um, Sabalenka, Rubakina, like just quite yet. I think she doesn't have like that natural weapon firepower, like really like she she kind of deflects your pace and turns it on you, but there's no one real like like I don't think her serve is one of the best. Um, she definitely doesn't have like I've seen the second serve sort of let her down in the past, 
um, in big moments or like she doesn't really quite have that killer, like one killer shot that I think you, you need to win some of these big titles. But I think on the mental side, she's definitely in um, that, that's where I saw the most scope for improvement. I think she'll probably maximize that maybe with Tersanov in her corner, but we'll see because um, yeah, I mean, there'll be some opportunities somewhere, but it's uh, especially if, um, if Ego loses early in one of these hardcore slams or um, yeah, like the draw can just sort of open up in unique ways, but she's just someone else to sort of keep an eye on because yeah, the consistency is definitely there outside of the slams, I would say. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, and these 500 tournaments are just jam packed, like because they don't like. I, I think they have this rule on the WTA that you can only, like, only one top 10 player can play in a 250, and you're only allowed to play two the whole year. I didn't know that. You're mm. only allowed to play two 250s the whole year if you're a top 10 player. Um, you, you can play a third one only if you play all the mandatory events. Is they it don't the same on the men's that. side? Or... Uh, it's not. They don't have that rule on the on the on the men's. Like oh, yeah. you know, you can play as many 250s. Really, five hundreds as you want, and yeah, they have the, like some restrictions for the mandatories. But yeah, like the 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 rule on the men's side, I think, is just like how they count points towards like your qualification for Turin. I think yeah, it's like you eighteen yeah. points count towards that. So you want to be smart about how many two fifties you play, but it's not like there's a max number, you know. Yeah, like on the women's side, it's like capped at two, and then three if you play all the mandatories. But it's like that. that that's what makes these five hundred draws just so stacked. I mean, you have like top twenty players having to play qualies to get into a 500 draw. It's like, because they, they don't space them out so well. It's because like you have the, you have like two 500s back to back before the AO. And then you have like Abu Dhabi. And then you have like Doha. I think this week is another 500. And then you have Dubai at 1000 after that. It's mm-hmm. like just so many like 500s with such stacked fields. Like the first round feel like quarterfinals of slams. Like I mean, have, if, yeah. At this point, you kind of have to have like those five, those uh, 500s, right? Cause a top 10 player not not saying that they it's not really about a money question like it could be but like in the sense that it's you, you get like a player and they um they lose in a round two like the next time you're gonna play a tournament like who knows when it's gonna be right so um it, it could be yeah. just like really um damaging for a player to you know um get to top 10 and start losing matches because it's like there's nothing you can do you can't play anymore <laughs> so yeah it just doesn't feel like there's any easy draw whatsoever for any of the top players like in these in these tournaments it just feels like they can't really like bank on winning two or three matches even if they're like one of the best it feels because like yeah like i mean sakura already played Linz. now she only has one more chance basically and she's one of the best players to have like not won a title since 2019 and now like yeah, yeah. I was gonna mention yeah, I was gonna mention Zachary and it's another tournament that she entered that she should be winning. I I, I mean yeah. I thought her only real threat could maybe be Alicia Parks if she carried her form over, but I thought Parks would probably be quite tired after, you know, her title in um Leon the week before. Um and yeah, just an, another semi final loss for Zachary. It's yeah, it's 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 a shame because I think everyone wants her to do well because you know, she struggles so much in the you know in the semis and the finals of these stages of tournaments, and it's it's another letdown. And yeah, as you said, one more two fifty this year. You know, is she going to win a five hundred? Is she going to win a thousand? You know, it's there's a lot of competition, and it's it's not going to be easy for her. Yeah, and yeah, the 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 fact that she's not winning even those semifinals, like it's just worrying for like how much mental strength does she have? Because like we know that the body strength is there. Like there's probably nobody stronger than Sakari, yeah. even on both tours. Like at this point, but like um, is is the is the mentality there? Like in because I I watched a bit a bit of a of her playing against um, Donna Vekic, which by the way I think that was her first win over Vekic um in her in her, in her career, uh, and she almost yeah, blew. Really had the better. Yeah, so, really had the better of her. Um, yeah, so I mean, she, that was she, an impressive win. Yeah, but she, but but it's like she could have finished that off in straights because she served for the match. Yeah, and she like, but when she got behind, she's like a different player. I feel like when she gets exactly, behind, you know, her, yeah. But you, you can't you can have out. that. You can't yeah. let that happen because like you, you're gonna lose like I don't know seven out of ten matches you're behind. Like yeah. if you're Djokovic, you can maximize that to like five, but like still like you wanna you wanna be like you wanna win like nine out of ten times like when you're ahead. <laughs> that's where that's where the goal lies. Like and. She, yeah. she 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 just became so passive. She just like started rolling her forehand, almost like waiting for the error to come, and obviously didn't. 
Vekic just like saw that as an opportunity to just like rip some forehands like through the court and it, it happened and she almost lost the set. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, it was good that she ended up like winning that in straights, but I would have loved to see her winning it like 6-3-6-4 instead of 6-3-7-6 in like 12-10 in tiebreak or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we got more. We obviously got a lot more WTA coming up before Indian Wells with these with these next two tournaments. And Iga will be back next week. Could have potentially Collins versus Iga. I think in the <laughs> the first match for Iga already. That would be a free match of the Australian Open semis. And then I think yeah. And then you know you have I think all the top players back. I think Sabalenka is not playing this week, but yeah, um, yeah. Pretty much the rest of the field is. So I think. I'm just yes. really excited for the clay court stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love the golden swing. I just, oh yeah. I, oh, and I of course it. Alcaraz is back this week. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's have you seen the videos of the about. all the fans kind of like trying to sneak a peek of his practices? It's crazy. Yeah. Like it's nuts. He's got such a huge draw over there, like yeah. crowd wise. Amazing. I hope we get that Alcaraz Baez quarterfinal. I would love to see them play again. Please, yes. yes. I mean, them US Open match was so good. Like, I just can't even imagine how good it'll be on clay in like a best of three yeah. type match. I would love to see it for sure. Yeah, that's a pretty good feel though. So there, because you have Nori as the second seed, you have uh, you have Musetti who does really well in these clay tournaments, and then I think Root, the Root's playing. Is he? Or is he not? Root's not. No, he's not playing this. Okay. Uh, he's taking his off season right now, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about time. Um, but yeah, I think and the fourth seed is Diego. So yeah, yeah. it's a pretty good field. Like it's team, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's team a really, well. really fun draw. Yeah, and yeah, so, Bayes yeah. has got Lyovich, who's the sixth seed, which surprises me that Lyovich is seeded. But um, <laughs> that's quite. I mean, that's quite a good first round for Bayes. I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think yeah. it would not. But yeah. Team, team, I believe, is playing Mulchan in the first round. That should be that. That's yeah. not an easy first round. I think that's that's going to be quite. It's going to be tough. I think I'd be more worried if it was on a hard court because I, from what I've seen of Mulchan, I think he can redline better on on a hard court. But yeah, yeah I've, I've not seen Team play play since I think Bastad, where he lost in the quarters or second round to um Byers, or or maybe the semis. I can't remember now. <laughs> But yeah, so then also he's playing, been playing hardcore since then. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he what he brings. And if he if he wins that, he's got either Souza or Verilas, I think. Yeah. Who pushed Arab to five at the Australian Open. But I think I think I he's like the favourite for any of those matches. Personally. I'd like to see him and Musetti in the quarters. I think that would be fantastic. That would be very fun. And that's the Owen Owen's absolute dream matchup of two. Oh yeah, he would love two one handed backhands. He's gonna <laughs> love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just want to see, a, I just want to see like, like, a, like a, like a fairy godmother touch on team. He's like, here's your level back. Like, become who you were. <laughs> That's it. Like, and and all of a sudden, he just starts tearing through like all the draws and like losing one or two games a match. Like this, this is what I want. Like it's, it's just sad to see that that guy like that. Like I feel like I don't even know like why he can do better. Like the forehand could be slightly better, but like all of a sudden it's just. I think like, that's it's... the one thing. I think it's the yeah. forehand. I yeah. think because yeah. the backhand looks amazing. Like it, you know, it's looked. The yeah. backhand still looks really good. The, the forehand just like, kind of lost the, the, the whip. confidence. Yeah. It's the confidence on the forehand. I think yeah. that's what's holding him back. Look. Yeah, the serve. The serve could be better as well. I don't think he's hitting it as big as he used to. I mean, he's yeah. still. I got it's it's, a, it's such a shame. That he got Rublev his worst matchup in um in round one of Australian Open. You couldn't have asked him. I mean, yeah, he could have got Djokovic and he would have lost yeah. and and probably would have like sits a pass as well. But like Rublev matchup wise is like historically teams like worst opponent. And he gets him in the first round and like day conditions as well. It was just like yeah. team had him at night, it might have been a bit different, but and then and he, had, he suffered a little bit of an injury in that match. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and you could see it, like in his his serve dropped a lot of pace. Um, and he, yeah, so but I think he's I think he's healthy now. He obviously played Davis Cup, lost both his matches, but yeah, I think yeah. he'll be excited for the clay. Basically, yeah. all my favorite players just look forward to the clay, and then I just I just suffer <laughs> for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gonna be a good, it should be a good week. Um, I don't think we actually mentioned who won Linz, which was that. Anastasia Potapova. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good shout. No, she's I've seen her play before. She's she's won this is her second title, I think. And she's 
Mm. She, she played a good match against Shinwin Zhang at the US Open. It was like two t- two tight tie breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's one. Of the, she has really good firepower of both wings and pretty, yeah. pretty solid ball striker. But I think she's only only twenty one years old as well. So that's mm. yeah, another young yeah player in that same crop. She's thirty one in the world now. So that's yeah. Stuff. If she keeps this up, she'll be seated for the next major. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and she beat Petra Martic in the final, who who, who beat Sakari uh, in, in the semis. Yes, yeah. very comfortably as well. Yeah, three yeah. and one. Yeah, which is good signs, right? I mean, the next experienced player like Martic, and, yeah. and she just kind of blew her off the court. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't really watch this match either, but like, uh, yeah, actually, this puts it puts her on my radar. Shame on me that I didn't. So I'll I'll catch her in the next match. Yeah, I think I assu- yeah. I'm not sure what she's playing this week actually. Because we've got so we've got Do- is it Doha this week? Yeah. Yeah. We got Doha we got Doha week. and then we got Rotterdam for the men, we got Buenos Aires for the men, we got Delray Beach for the men. So um, much actually say like outdoor, indoor, hardcore, yeah. clay. Okay, at least it's only four events and not five. Yeah, true. Five is overkill, I think. Mm. Um even for the most hardcore tennis fans. Because they also schedule these finals almost all at the same time. And it's like yeah. it's yeah. you have you have to kind of like either you wake up extra early or you like you have like five screens. It's like really yeah, you, it, it, catch everything. And days like yesterday, you actually would have had to book my entire day off <laughs> to watch all these matches because by the time that I think um, Isner at Dallas finished, uh, it, the uh, Cordoba final was starting, <laughs> so it, it was yeah. just. Straight up, like six hours of tennis, like right away, like two finals, and like add to that, like all the other ones. It's just like, yeah, which is it's it's good to catch up on those, but like more tennis, yes, please. But like at the same time, it's just like obviously I'm not gonna be able to follow all that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the fun of it, though. I feel like yeah. you can just like anywhere you are in the world, I feel like you'll be able to catch something, and you'll you'll miss some things, but then you'll you know you'll sort of just catch up, or it'll like be in the back of your mind, and then like you'll. Like you'll you won't be as shocked if they do something big in a major or they're exactly you know, yeah be be the top because it's like in kind of in your radar somewhere in your brain but like yeah. that's that's what we love about tennis so much you know the <laughs> overload is yeah. is one of those it's those like a first week of the Grand Slam where it's like fourteen matches like at the same time chaos yeah chaos, yeah and then after the third round it just kind of settles down because it's yeah. like. And and by the way, Potapova is number fourteen in the race, so I think she's in very good position to be seated for our Roland Garros. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I guess that's the next target for all these, you know, fifty to twenty-five players is getting that seating in for Roland Garros. Yeah. That's why I'm. That's what I'm quite worried about. Schwarzman is that I mean, if he doesn't Ugh, yeah. do something amazing over the next three or four weeks, he's not probably not going to be seeded for the French Open unless he has a really good clay season in the build-up. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's going to be weird, you know. Schwarzman not being seeded the French Open just seems wrong to me. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's yeah. So, I mean, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Good win for do, Rebecca yeah. Marino. She just beat. Uh, yeah. Ruskova qualifying. It's not so the qualifying I, I was a tournament that, in itself. Uh, the Pushkova Fernandez, like one of those is not gonna be in the main draw. Like, it's shocking. It the yeah. Wimbledon finalist and then the US Open finalist, the very next major. And they're playing for a spot in the main draw of a five hundred. It's just nuts. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I guess we could keep going on and on, but unfortunately I yeah. do have to get going. I think you do Yeah, well. me too. Yeah. Yeah. We've had you on yeah. for over an hour now, and it was a blast. <laughs> we appreciate all your knowledge and your <laughs> all the analysis you've given um and for sure we'll uh we'll do this again and uh jethro where can we follow you on twitter and social media um yeah my twitter is jethro underscore sb um you can just follow me there my instagram is not very interesting i don't use it much but um it's the same username on there if you want to follow me um but yeah thank you so much for having me on guys i've very much enjoyed this uh love talking about players that i follow a lot and yeah it's, it's been really really enjoyable all right. Thanks yeah. so much, Ethereum. Yeah, the pleasure was ours. Thank you. Right. See you guys. Uh, and also, you can follow us at Vanshvi2k, at Vans and I'm at Rollenberg Andre, I believe. I never remember what is my handle. Uh, and we are at Tennis and Bagels official, do I want to say? Yeah. 
um, <laughs> man, what a what a season we had last year. But anyway, <laughs> thanks thanks guys for listening, and uh, we have some big news coming soon. So keep up um, on our Twitter pages and Instagram pages, moving a bit uh, more as well. It's also the tennis and bagels in there as well. So if you want to follow us, um, more than welcome to chat with us on Twitter. I'm always yeah. there. So yeah, see you guys next time. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.